friends, well, welcome back to another episode of Trekology. Thank you so much for joining us yet again. Here we are. And as always, my name is Jeff. I am one of your hosts on this here adventure. And back from the far reaches of the planet uh, is our buddy Greg. Hey, Greg, how's it going? Hey, how are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. Now, uh, we you were definitely missed, at least by me, over these past two episodes. <laughs> Judy and Adam did a great job filling in, but, you know, it's it's uh, there's no replacing the, the, the genuine article of Greg. So uh, how, was your, how was your time away? At least the original. Yes. It was good. It was good. Spent a lot of time with family. Um, my son got to meet my my grandfather which was the whole reason we went over yeah um yeah so really good family time it okay. was really nice excellent excellent and uh the because how long a flight is it from uh, california to holland oh we flew into um to dublin okay and it was a 11 hour flight oh with just just me and my four-year-old okay so Actually, he did really well, though. Okay. We uh, he basically just watched Frozen over and over. Really? But he, he had headphones, which he was very excited about. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I got him. So I didn't have to hear um, "Let It Go" five times. <laughs> so he's still watching Frozen one, huh? He hasn't even gone to Frozen two. No, he 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 loves Frozen. And then on the way back, he watched Moana over and over. Interesting. As adults, we're always like, what's the new movie? What's the mm. new movie? You know, it's we may have one or two movies that we watch from a decade ago over and over and over. Yeah. For kids, I think. I think I think Frozen is just as popular today as it was when it came out. Hmm. Maybe. I wonder. I mean, granted, we are also doing a podcast about a show that we have watched over and over and over again. So we're probably not the best ones to speak on this. But I feel like, you know, to a certain extent, you you watch, uh, I don't know, Inception or some, you know, movie and you you get all of the beats and all of the surprises and you have all the reactions but then you watch it the second time and you know what's coming you know you know iron man is going to get the gauntlet at the end of infinity war so you know it's not a a big surprise the second and third and fourth time you watch it but with kids yeah i don't know maybe that's not what they're in it for their surprise like their right. surprise and their gut reaction is um yeah, I don't know if they're trying to recapture that first time or if they just have no problem just living in that exact same moment over and over again. I think that for for some kids, and I think my son included, I think he enjoys the comfort of knowing what's going to happen next. Okay. You know, he's not on the edge of his seat he doesn't worried want about like is something scary <laughs> going to happen. Or Interesting. Okay, I can see that. What's a movie that you have that you watch over and over? Um... Well, the funny like we've got so many movies in our house and we haven't we haven't popped a DVD in in so so long. But the one well the two exceptions I would say is we are very seasonal in 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 my family. So, uh every baseball season, we always try and watch Field of Dreams, The Natural, Major League and A League of Their Own. Uh and every Christmas 
we try and watch. We have about five or six Christmas movies that we always have to watch. Miracle on 34th Street and uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Though that's not a Christmas movie, but that's a different that's a different podcast. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we always watch those. And so the same thing. We have literally memorized them word for word, beat for beat. But it's mm-hmm. not about the... It's a different experience at this point of, yeah, some of the comfort and the the tradition, I think, is a big thing for us. Because we don't, like, you don't watch It's a Wonderful Life in July. Like, that's crazy. I'm not going to watch, you know, Field of Dreams. Well, the only reason I would watch Field of Dreams in, like, January would be that I'm really, I'm jonesing for some baseball. And uh, <laughs> it's just like, but, yeah, watching, you know, Miracle on 34th Street in the middle of june would just be uh would just be wrong so do you have you don't have like a comfort movie that you can pop in at any time uh not for me like uh, i mean i've got some movies that i enjoy but and i go through different phases i know uh judy definitely does where she i mean for her it's mostly gilmore girls she'll just put which isn't a movie but she'll just put the show on even though again she's memorized virtually every line but she'll just have it go and that's that's Mm -hmm. if, if she's ever sick that's that's her comfort food when she's sick i don't know that i necessarily have that with a movie as much uh, I definitely went through a phase with Futurama where I could just watch any episode of Futurama at any given time, no matter how many times I've seen it. And it just, it, it does that for me. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Movies seem like more of a commitment as well. <laughs> I have a hard time going into a movie if it, like, after it started. Even a movie mm. I've seen a thousand times. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know that I... I mean, it depends on the movie, but there's a lot of movies that I've seen, especially ones that I've seen a thousand times that I can start just, like, anywhere. And then, you know, <laughs> for th- the funny thing is, too, is that be- because growing up, a lot of movies that my family had, we recorded off of television. So a lot of them, we right, end up missing too. the beginning part of it. So uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> the first time I saw the intro to Back to the Future, I was like, what is happening? Like, doesn't this movie start with them, you know, in that parking lot and they're going 88 miles an hour? And like, oh, no, there's a bunch that happens before that, Jeff. Okay, okay. So, Yeah. Now, did you have the, the commercials memorized, too? Because we definitely had the commercials sure. memorized. On I mean, that. the ones that we'd watch all the So those those uh, those uh, Christmas ones. Yeah, we definitely uh-huh. memorized those Christmas commercials because those were also distinct seasonal they commercials. Were. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the we always that was all, well now. And that was that's this is tying it back into our, our Trek Star Trek uh, uh, theme here is I had it down because I recorded the vast majority of my watching of Star Trek was, you know, setting the VHS recorder to record because it was on at like 11 p.m. on reruns Mm -hmm. or something like that. Or I would catch it live or live, you know, I would catch it on the, the, the the rebroadcast. And so I had to have it down to like, how many commercials is it going to be so I know how to hit the un, like the pause button and then unpause it right as the fade from black? And I got pretty good because remember also with a VHS player, there's a little bit of a lull from the time right. you hit pause until – and so then there's – or my VHS player 
when you hit pause, it would go back several frames. So you had to hit pause like a couple of beats after <laughs> or else you missed the last couple of shots. So, yeah, there's there's a couple of them that I would watch and I'd be like, ooh, yep, nailed that one. That was a good pause right there, Jeff. So, you know, wow. it's the little things. <laughs> uh, so speaking of star trek because that is why we're here uh any now that you've had uh, a month away any uh star trek updates or things that have been going on in your star trek life well we have watched we've been watching strange new world okay uh we haven't seen the last episode but we've been watching that um and uh i watched a couple of the I downloaded a couple of the animated series to take with me on the plane. Oh, like the old school animated fun. series? Yep. Oh, okay. Did you ever watch those? Um, I've, I, I, I read them all because they all came out in paperback as well. So I read the screenplays oh, for all of them. Interesting. Um, I didn't know like, that. Yeah. Yeah. They made them into like compilations. Uh, and so I, I read them before I even knew that they ever aired. But yeah, huh. I'm not sure I've actually seen... I know I haven't seen all of them. I've maybe seen a couple. Yeah, it's that old animation style. Yes. And I uh, it's not my favorite, but I do like the stories. Right. You know, the stories are quality stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're legit Star Trek. I mean, yeah. same writers, same actors, same everything. Right. So the, the stories are so good. It's just the animation that draws so much away from it for me. I mean, I, I grew up in the in the early 90s was my prime cartoon watching phase. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, it was more, uh, you know, Darkwing Duck than He-Man. Okay. So I, I missed that kind of animation, you know, the, the older st- type of like G.I. Joe animation. And went into the more modern, well, I guess not modern anymore, but right. the more, you know, yeah. fluid type that mm. you see now. So it doesn't have that nostalgia for me. It's Interesting. just weird. It's just weird looking. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, well, and that's, that's even more, cause that's pre eighties, isn't it? That like seventies. So it's more like sea uh, C lab and, uh, what was the right. other one? Um, yeah. Where it's, it's almost like everything's kind of jarring and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. Hey, but going back because, uh, yeah, we missed the uh, you were gone when Strange New Worlds came out, but it did actually debut or at least they released it on YouTube at the same time. So Judy and I did get to watch it and, and talk a little bit about it. How, how are you? Uh, how are you feeling so far about the first? Because now it's what, four episodes in? Right. I like it. I really like that, that it is returning to a episodic mm. that Star Trek is returning to something that's more episodic instead of these big arcs. Okay. And there's some themes, there's some themes in it, like Pike reckoning with him, knowing his future. Right. You right. know, that, that sort of thing. There's some, there's some, you know, larger things that characters are wrestling with, but I like that, uh, you know, in the X-Files, some episodes are Monster of the Week. Yep. Some are Ark. Right. It's nice to see some Planet of the Week episodes in Star huh. Trek. Well, that was one thing that for me that I felt about the pilot, at least, is that I was like, okay, that was, you know, that was solid. I enjoyed it. But you know what? I feel like I've seen that exact same plot at least three times in Star sure. Trek episodes. So that was, sure. and that was the thing that concerned me just from the pilot. Like, it, it seems like that's the problem that Voyager ran into. 
as doing episodic television, it was just kind of like running out of ideas. And that, and I hope in the last like 20 years, they've come up with more ideas. But that was, mm-hmm. con- that was a little concerning for me. I think we agree that Star Trek is at its best when it is tackling issues from today mm-hmm. on uh, in a science fiction type of way. Right. Right. Like it's taking an issue that's happening today and talking about it in space. And I look forward to that. I don't think they've quite done that yet. Mm. But, you know, it's gearing up. Uh, you know, you look at the first episodes of, of any of the Star Treks and they don't really start getting excellent until later on right so right but i i think it's going into uh, going good places i have a lot of hope for it um and uh i like the crew i'm looking forward to seeing more of you know falling in love with the crew cool okay i think i think that i will but you know i'm always the positive one (laughs) my wife will tell you that i'm i'm like on board for anything until it (laughs) breaks my heart okay Okay. Well, along those lines, one more update, I guess, is that so apparently it is now official that we are getting the fourth J.J. Abrams Kelvin universe movie. Uh, Is that are you still positive about that or have they already broken your heart? (laughs) They've already broken my heart. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm I'm wondering where they're going to go. Are they going to rehash another old Star Trek? Right or are they going to are they going to do something totally new? It's I, I don't know yeah. I don't know uh, the 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 director is the guy from uh, Wandavision, and I know I've been down on Marvel properties, but I did really like Mar- uh, Wandavision. Hmm. So interesting. Um, yeah, Although I'm this curious. feels very unsimilar to Wandavision, so I wonder it how does. that will yeah factor in. It does, but I mean, he did a good job on one division, mm. and one of the writers, one of the, um, I mean, they already have one script. They're reworking it, and what I read is one of the guys that was reworking it right now. He is also one of the main writers on one division. Mm. One thing is the guy who played uh, Chekhov won't. Are they going to recast him? Or oh, that's right. I mean, he died tragically in yeah. that car accident. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Let's dive into tonight, because that is one thing that I am very excited for you to be back for. Uh, Not that I'm just not excited that you're back just in general, you know. But uh, I did feel like Judy and Adam, as wonderful as they were as guest hosts, I don't know that they were as fascinated by the science that we were discussing. And I love me some science. As I was talking about, like, hey, like, they just, you know, they're a little bit closer to fusion and what that could mean for the future of space travel. And I felt like Adam was like, all right. And I'm like, no, the future of space. Oh, well, so hopefully, (laughs) I mean, you know, we'll we'll dive into some of the nerdiness of the science. Uh, As we are concluding, my friends, this week, we're concluding tech months by talking about the phaser, one of the most famous of the Star Trek technologies. We could not be, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't get to cover the phaser. But it does remind me, though, we have plenty more to tackle because really all we've tackled, right? We did the holodeck, the warp drive, the phaser, and the, the um, uh, replicator. So we're not even getting to touch, like, 
the shields or the sensors or the computer or the communicator or the right. like plenty more that we could Truck talk about. Oh, we didn't even we didn't talk about it. we talked about the transporter. No, we didn't even talk about the the um, replicator. That was kind of in our our um, money episode. The economics but, one. Exactly. So yeah. we will tackle the phaser this this episode. So Greg, how, how do you like? How do you feel? What is your feeling towards the Star Trek phaser? You know, I think the phaser is one of the most interesting pieces of technology that Star Trek has introduced because Roddenberry explicitly did not want a gun in his show, you know, but they needed one for plot devices and so on. And in in the original series, it looks like a gun. Right. But by the time you get to the next generation, you know, you get more of a TV remote control kind of thing. I think it, <laughs> it really shows. I think when you look at the phaser and how it's used in that particular show, whether it be Voyager or Deep Space Nine, it really says a lot about the direction that show is going mm. and what the 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 point that that show is trying to make about violence and its place within society. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's fascinating. Right. That's a good point. And, and to be honest, like even last episode, <laughs> because I had kind of forgotten what was on the schedule for the next episode. So as I was announcing, Hey guys, join us next episode for phasers. I mean, with everything, especially Ooh. in our world right now, that's going on around gun violence and gun laws and just everything like that, there was a part of me that was like, oh, I don't really want to, you know, glorify the Star Trek gun. But I think you're mm -hmm. right. Like, that's that's the real key is that it is it is it's not a gun. And it's specifically designed for, I mean, you know, set your phasers to stun is the thing, you know? And yeah, that's, that's a really famous line. Exactly. And I think it says a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And I think you're right. And it is interesting. Yeah, I did read that Roddenberry was disappointed that the, who, whatever it was, the network or the producers or whatever, uh, did fashion the phasers to look a little Buck Rogers E, a little like a mm -hmm. like a ray gun uh, in the original series, and that he was much more comfortable with the next generation. Yeah, again, like you said, there was the little, there was either the TV remote or there was the even smaller one that kind of looked like a, I don't know, like a like a mouse almost, like a, <laughs> like a computer mouse, and right. um, and then of course you get into Deep Space Nine and they've made phaser rifles and. All that sort of stuff like that, but yeah, it it is it is really interesting that uh, the I've read uh, a couple of different versions about how they came up with the word phaser. Uh, the one that I heard, I think, and I don't know if it was a quote from Roddenberry, but they said uh, that because in the I think in the cage they refer to them as lasers or laser guns. I believe and, so. Yeah, yeah, and that Roddenberry was worried that they, that people were going to say like, wait a minute, lasers can't do that. And that that was going to, you know, decrease the, the um, realism of Star Trek or the believability. Mm -hmm. Cause even think about in the cage, remember they set up like a laser, whatchamajigger to like blow apart the mountain so that they can free Pike from the Thalosians and it blows away a mountain. And 
you know, so right. back then lasers couldn't do that. Uh, so supposedly one was, well, let's not call it a laser. Let's call it a phaser. Uh, another one that, which I think was really interesting is that apparently before the laser was a thing, the maser was a thing that for the you tech people out there, you know, that laser is actually an acronym for light amplified by stimulated emission of radiation. Uh, whereas a maser is microwave amplified by stimulated emission of radiation. And that that was actually more of a thing mm-hmm. back in the 60s is that uh, um, amplifying microwaves and they do. And I mean, even today, there are amplified microwaves that you use like kind of like stun guns and, you know, you can shoot basically microwave radiation at people uh, as like defensive or offense or usually it's like a stunning type weapon or, or something like that. Right. A lot more powerful than uh, light. Exactly. Especially back in the 60s. Yep. Yep. Uh, and that they said, um, what was it? The uh, Is it in Enterprise that they refer to phase modulated particle weapons? Yeah. Yeah. If I recall season one, they have laser cannons. And don't they run in, or is it even the first episode? Mm-hmm. And they run into somebody and their laser cannons don't do squat. So then that's how they have to get the phaser, but the phaser is way too powerful and they can't, like, it overloads their system and they only got yeah. one shot or something like that. Is that the first episode? There's that that episode where Reed gets really upset and, like, redesigns the weapon system. And I think that's when we first see that in action is actually... Now, I might be wrong about this, but I believe... It's the first episode of season two when they get back out back out into space. Hmm. Do I have that wrong? I don't know, but I, I seem to recall there was one where they were trying to fight this somebody and they were going to have to like return home because yeah. they were overmatched. And then they're like, but wait, can we get this thing to work? And, yeah. and then they do. And so then they're like, hey, we can stay here or whatever. You know what? That might, yeah, I think you might be right about that. So, and the quote that I read, which I think is from the Star Trek technical manual, maybe not. Maybe this is from a, I don't know, something to do with Star Trek. <laughs> it says they're basically lasers, but they have the beam set on a pulsating frequency that can be specifically set to interfere and interact with the wave pattern of any molecular form. This is called phasing the beam frequency hence the name phaser so i thought that was interesting that it is it's like a yeah again a a pulsating frequency because we do see that later like with the borg where they have to keep changing the frequency so that it because the borg would adapt to Mm -hmm. them um but this makes it seem like maybe that's a part of the phaser in general that it is a yeah a pulsating frequency or, or or something like that um because it is, it is interesting. Yeah, again, you know, they're always talking about set your set your phasers to, you know, stun or whatever. And I did see on um, on memory alpha, they did list out all. What is this? There are eight settings for a type one phaser, and a type two and three phaser have sixteen settings, and they go all mm-hmm. the way from setting one being light stun, medium stun, heavy stun. Thermal effects, thermal effects, disruption effects, disruption, 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 explosive. Now we're up to um, 
uh, setting 11, explosive ex- effects, explosive, explosive, explosive. And then the final set, if you set it up to max, which is 16, then it causes shielded matter to exhibit light mechanical fractural damage. Approximately 650 cubic meters of rock are disintegrated per shot. So that's a big deal. Yeah. And you see that, that there's some shots from the, from the phaser that are very, very powerful. Right. 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 And that's, yeah, that's, what's really fascinating. That there's a possibility that the phaser is not just used as a weapon, but also as a tool. Yes. Too. Yep. You know, to, uh, it, they use it to, to break up rock. They use it to cut through things. So it's, uh, it, that's another, that's another example of it not just being a weapon. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Then again, so we see it in different forms. You know, we see it as uh, phaser pistols, phaser rifles. On the ship, you see phaser cannons, phaser arrays. Uh, you don't usually, I mean, I guess uh, you see laser scalpels. I think they talk about a laser scalpel at one point, but not a phaser scalpel, which I guess makes sense. You don't want it phasing as you're trying to like, you know, do surgery or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is interesting. You you don't ever see really, I don't think you ever see the Enterprise using the ship's lasers for i mean sometimes it's like we need to blow a a passage out of this cave we got trapped in somehow but that's a little (laughs) different than you know like hey we want to mine some ore because we're they they didn't really that would kind of make it a boring show if (laughs) they had to occasionally stop for mining operations that's uh yeah that's we were talking uh adam and i were talking about the video game mass effect last episode and that uh-huh. is a part of the mass effect thing is you do have to mine for ore at various points not a terribly <laughs> exciting part of the game you know except for the nerds that are just like oh there's more beryllium on this planet let's go so nonetheless. that's like uh a, a game uh no man's sky too exactly Yep. You spend so much time getting those stupid minerals so that you <laughs> can fly your ship. <laughs> yeah. Although I did enjoy with No Man's Sky, you would just kind of I would just rather like randomly bore tunnels rather than walking over a mountain. I'm like, I could just bore a tunnel right through this mountain. So I'd enjoy that, but anyway. <laughs> so speaking no, the exact opposite of the video games is the reality. Cause now this one was a little more um I don't know. I found this more curious as as the reality of where we are today scientifically as far as phasers. Because one, <laughs> the concept of a phaser is not like we don't uh, we don't have any need to modulate the frequency of our lasers. Like what what benefit would that serve? So instead, we just have lasers. Now it doesn't seem again the maser Maybe we use those for like uh, defensive weapons and stuff like that. But for the most part, mm-hmm. it seems like shooting microwave radiation at people is generally frowned upon. That seems like that can't be a healthy thing to do. So it seems like usually that has kind of gone the way of like sonic stuff where they have like different sonic waves that you can disrupt people. I did see one mention in my technology book. It didn't go into detail, but it said that there is something that they call a dazzler which uses some form of light projection to like disrupt your senses so i was curious about what that was but they didn't again they didn't go into any detail about what that was talking about um but it was interesting to talk like look at like um 
the the different uses that we currently have for lasers is because I, I don't know if we realize just how much lasers are used not just in the like super high tech whatever stuff because on one side yes we have like medical uses i think people are maybe familiar with like laser eye surgery that's a pretty common one people are familiar with even like laser like fat sculpting is that they do some of that where they can do like fat removal through laser um but also like semiconductors semiconductors use lasers even like i think is it optical cable uh some form of um uh, communication software and cabling uses lasers. Um, obviously, in military usage, there's like laser-guided missiles. Uh, and mm-hmm. then the one that we've talked about a couple of times is the the promise on the horizon of quantum uh, technology and quantum computing. And quantum computing would be taking advantage of lasers, is that we would be able to use laser light far more rapidly than than we use um you know like the microprocessors and stuff that we use now so quantum computing would only be possible with um yeah with with high power high high uh frequency lasers so yeah i know that uh that the military does use those uh dazzlers and they have one called i believe a phaser oh really um, yeah the here it is the personnel halting and simulation response rifle huh. or the phaser um yeah developed by the department of defense and they're using them i believe in iraq or they they did use them during that interesting that time they i mean they they are they are being used by the military okay as far as like the technology of like direct technology of a phaser or basically the similar concept where uh, a unit that shoots a beam at something that stuns it, heats it up or destroys it as, Mm -hmm. uh, and that the challenge with that is that one, again, like you said, uh, a laser is amplified light or light amplified by stimulated emission radiation. Uh, Anyway. uh, So what it does is it heats it heats stuff up. So even now they have like laser like um they've been working on like laser defense systems to like stop missiles and stuff like that. So what mm-hmm. it would do, it would be a high powered laser that would heat that rocket up until it blew up. But so that's mm-hmm. still not an instantaneous thing. And and sometimes the phasers weren't instantaneous, especially if it was needing to heat something up, but you know, like the stun was just like zap and, you know, uh, especially yeah. or, or disintegrate or something like that. And the interesting thing, or at least the challenge, then that's why uh, science is kind of saying right now that the handheld phaser is just a fantasy is because the amount one, what it takes to generate that amount of heat to be able to vaporize, forget vaporize, just to cause something to blow up or to heat something up to its like, so it's no longer functional. The amount of like the, the machine that is required for that is way too big. Like it can maybe fit on a truck. That's the smallest they've ever made one. Uh, Mm -hmm. And those can't even like those couldn't vaporize anything. Uh, and not only that, which I thought was doubly interesting, to contain that heat is part of the problem. 
So a oh, handheld thing That's... would be so hot that you'd have to drop it. You couldn't, you know, it would be. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I don't, and I don't think the phasing part of that, I don't think that affects that. I don't think it was like, well, it'd be too hot. That's why we phase it. Like, no, uh, it would be, yeah, it's something generating that hot of a beam. And not only that, but also like, you know, that hot, I, I, I'm assuming that hot of a laser traveling through whatever is going to heat the air around it. So a laser beam goes by you, it's going to burn you because it's, you know, even if it doesn't hit you, it's just, it's that hot of an item of a thing that's going to heat up the air and all of that. So yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, uh, I, 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 maybe that was the part of it. I found that somewhat of a bummer that I'm like, no, come on, laser guns, dude, we've got to get laser (laughs) guns. It's just, it's just technology, right? Now, okay, let's say hypothetically, yes. they were able to create a a laser gun in 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 our current world. Right. What would be the the advantage of using that over a conventional a conventional firearm? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it I mean, it's got to be one is just the ability to stun. Like that's uh-huh. a that's such a huge. I mean, for me, especially now with the 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 gun conversation, like if we could have all police officers equipped with these, so you can instantly stun any perp that you want and never have to worry about like accidentally killing them or anything like that. Oh my gosh! Like that would be that would be so huge. Um, but again, that that's that's the challenge because even here, what is it? It says. On in Star Trek, it says a light stun causes central nervous system impairment on humanoids, unconsciousness for up to five minutes, long exposure causes reversible neural damage. And see, and I don't think if you get overloaded, because I mean, again, if it's a laser, so you're overloaded with heat, you're not gonna, it's not gonna cause central nervous system impairment. I don't know why that would happen. Even if it was like electricity, I mean, that's kind of the closest thing is it seems like, well, what if it like shocked you? Um, but that's, again, that's electricity doesn't, I don't know. It's a different, it's still a different sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but obviously the limitation of a stun gun, you know, electricity can't vaporize something. I think that, that you're right, that the, the stunning aspect of it would really, would really save a lot of lives. Right. But I wonder, you know, seems like anytime somebody makes a new weapon it somehow makes the world worse hmm. a lot of times non-lethal techniques are good right are, are better but yeah yeah I, I wonder about being able to to change the power of the weapon you know you have this right. handheld weapon able to blast huge holes out of rock too yeah. well and i wonder and i mean and that maybe that's the the x factor because like like you're saying about how every time a new weapon is made i'm not sure that's entirely true because i mean think about like the invention of the stun gun like that didn't you know it's not like every like whoever thug out there was like dude i gotta get my hands on a stun gun i gotta go around <laughs> stunning everybody like no it didn't you know uh same thing with like i know that when the police develop or whoever developed the like the beanbag thing like the rifle that shoots a beanbag that's designed to like stun people 
Uh, same sort of a thing. It's not like everybody's using beanbags now. So I, I don't know. I mean, the, the... Yeah, people keep using guns. Right. The capacity for massive destruction. I think you're right. And that's, that's, that's yeah, that's definitely all uh, like a, uh, a challenge. And I think that's also the interesting thing, like we've talked about before with Roddenberry. I think Rod, even though Roddenberry had served in World War II, and so he had gotten to see, you know, warfare... He still seemed to have that people can be tr- people can be trusted to make the best decision. You know, if if I mean if and I don't know if it was if hunger and poverty were taken away, then mankind would find their better instincts or or whatever it was, but something that it felt like he didn't see it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's tough. I mean, and again, not only World War 2, but also in the Cold War. Man, it's tough to keep believing that if uh, you know you're on the edge of nuclear annihilation. So, along those lines, actually, and that was another one that I've always found really interesting, is in I think it's '84 uh, when Ronald Reagan really doubled down on the 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 uh, what was it strategic defense initiative that they called Star Wars, which was mm-hmm. like an anti um, ballistic missile. Uh, satellite system which the weird thing and i was looking into it because i remember hearing about it i'm like that sounds amazing uh, but <laughs> it was basically like space lasers like that was kind of one of the proposals is let's get a satellite system that could shoot down lasers that would you know blow up any icbm that was entering the atmosphere and the conclusion very shortly was like, we don't have that technology, nor are we close to having that technology. So that's kind of why one of the reasons the program was shut down. But if it was possible, like that does seem like, I mean, you know, at the time there was plenty of different pros and cons to that. But to be able to use, um, again, lasers in that sort of a way, um, you know. I guess James mm-hmm. Bond Bond villains always seem to use that sort of stuff though too. Space lasers. <laughs> so Right. I I never really understood how that how that system was supposed to work. Because my my understanding is they're just like the idea is just to shoot the missile with another missile and using a laser to do that. I don't know. Because it like we we're talking about, the laser takes a long time to heat something up enough do any damage to it right well and again it sounds like there wasn't actually a concrete proposal it sounds like it was just like this sounds like a good idea let's try it and then once they investigated it like it wasn't (laughs) because yeah again one of the proposals and there was a weird one where it was something about almost like an electromagnetic pulse where it was the uh You know how the, the shock of a like a nuclear explosion or whatever generates an EMP? So they're like, that's it. We'll detonate a nuclear bomb that will create uh, an EMP. So that will shut the other nuclear bomb down. And it's like, this seems like a really bad idea. But And then, <laughs> as, as, you know, th- that's what the conclusion was eventually is that this, this, doesn't, this just doesn't make sense. So. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Or, yeah. or makes sense doesn't. that it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that said, thinking specifically about Star Trek technology and the Star Trek phasers, what are some of the pros and cons of maybe not just the phaser, because we've done that a little bit already, but what about like the different kinds of lasers? Uh, Excuse me, phasers. Now I'm doing it. So like one, for example, just to start off, like I kind of had an issue 
with the phaser rifle. What is exactly the benefit, do you think? What's the benefit of a phaser rifle as opposed to a phaser phaser? Well, in when you're watching the show, it seems like the phaser rifles are more powerful. And my my understanding of that is maybe because of their larger size, they're able to have a larger and more powerful emitter in them, and something that w- that could provide more power. Yeah. Also, the, the stability. Um, I don't know, Jeff. Have you ever have you ever fired a firearm? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, paintball. Rifle, paintball probably doesn't count. A, a rifle does give you more control. Sure. You know, over what what you're doing, just because, you know, with the stock and everything, it provides, uh, yeah, just more control over the weapon. Right. Um, Why do you need more control when you have a phaser beam? Because if you're aiming a a long ways away, it's harder to keep your arm straight if you're using a handheld device rather than something with a stock that you can put against your shoulder. So... In a military type situation, like I, I'm thinking about the Makos in Enterprise, right? You know, troopers that are specifically there for military use. As we see, when they're not just on the ship, where things are pretty close quarters, but we see a couple times with them planet side, yeah, and shooting like long range in a real life context, having something that having a rifle type weapon provides. Um, more control over shooting a long ways than right. using a pistol or something uh, like that. Yeah. It seems like in everything post-Enterprise that there is no military, that the that right. Starfleet is essentially the military, but their primary goal is not militaristic. We see in Deep Space Nine where, you know, that, that they... If there's a war, y'all are the ones that are, you know, called to go. Which is interesting when they talk about like ground troops. It's like who are the ground troops? The security officers? Like how many security officers do you have? Like right. um, which again yeah. is not Roddenberry's I don't think that's how Roddenberry was thinking. I think Roddenberry no. was thinking we don't need military anymore. Um, which is weird because they had a, a I mean, obviously a whole conflict going on with the um the Klingons, but I guess from that perspective, if the phaser is primarily a defensive weapon, then some of the, like the rifle does not seem beneficial as a defensive weapon to me. Cause it's, I don't know. Cause it is bulkier. It's, it's less, you know, I don't know. I would think the maneuverability to go from here over to here, uh, would be a little bit less, but that's kind of my thought too, is that like the precision if you've got a beam of light that you're shooting, unless it's something where it's like, hey, I really want to make sure that I get that and I don't hit this over there. Otherwise, you could just be like, whoop, missed, and then just move to the side. It's not like you're shooting a projectile that if you miss, then you miss and you got to shoot again. It's just a continuous beam that you could kind of sweep back and forth. Yeah, but you don't really see them using it like that well right and they're trained and they don't miss (laughs) (laughs) only the bad guys miss exactly yep yeah but that's i mean that's just a problem with movies sure i guess it depends on how you see a a proper defense working Hmm. yeah because you see laser rifles 
are the see now I'm saying uh-huh. it too. <laughs> the phaser rifles, which is like what the type three phaser. Um, you see those all the way into Deep Space Nine. Yeah, so I mean, obviously they have staying power. You know, that brings up something because in in Picard, you see a lot of phasers going around because there's obviously a part of society that is that that are using the phasers for more nefarious purposes. It's not just the Federation that has this technology. And if there's a market, if there if anything's been shown through capitalism is that if there's a market, people are going to make it, right? So the the phaser rifles are being sold somewhere. Right. Which is that other part is that why well, and again, I, I think feeding into Roddenberry's perspective on weaponry and, and combat and stuff like that, because there was never, there was not really ever a like personal shields or anything like a defense. There is no defense against uh, a phaser. Uh, you, I mean, there's no like phaser-proof uniforms or anything like that, except for that one. What is it? There's well, no, that's not even. Is that phaser proof? Maybe it is. I don't remember in uh, what's the fistful of datas where they're on the hollow suite. Oh right, yeah. But is it phaser proof or is it just bulletproof? I don't know. But he basically creates his own like private like force field for you know a couple of seconds or whatever. Which you figured that would be a thing if you know combat was a was a question. But which again is is the the one for me which is another question. In Next Generation and in the original series, Phaser set for stun was a very, like, when in doubt... I'm like, when when is it ever not set for stun? Why would you set it for anything other... I mean, other than it sounds like, again, there's different levels of stun. There's, like, light stun and heavy stun. You're going against a Nausicaan and you hit him with, like, a one and he's just going to be like, ugh. Like, it doesn't do anything. (laughs) That's what kind of bothered me about the Dominion War is I don't think I ever saw a Jem'Hadar stunned. Like, they were always shooting to kill. And they didn't explain that. Like, if they were resistant, they didn't, they were, you know, incapable of being stunned or or something like that. Like, the Ketracel White prevented them from being stunned. Like, okay. But then the same thing, too, when they were fighting the Romulan or the, the Cardassians. I don't think we ever saw Cardassians stunned. And that again, that kind of bugged me. Where it was like, why, why not? Like, what's the advantage? To say nothing of the fact that again, the the phaser rifles in um, at some point seem to be shooting like globs of energy as opposed to beams. Sometimes yeah. you get the pew pew pew, and sometimes you get the pew pew, and it's whatever they're <laughs> shooting. Um, the gem hadar definitely. What that is. Right, the Jemadar definitely shoot energy globs, um, right? And that those, and they even said that they have some sort of resonance or something that makes it really nasty or, or whatever. And I mean, hey, they're they're trying to kill people. Okay, like, I get that. But the Federation folks, yeah, I don't know. I mean, but that was the other weird thing. Is it so? Then I'm thinking about specifically that one, the assault on what's the one where Nog gets his leg blown off. On Salt on AR-57, I think it's called. Um, which, uh, and as a Star Trek fan, and as somebody who's not a big fan of violence in the first place, I do really appreciate the fact that they did their, probably their most, like, 
guns blazing whatever episode and it was not glorious like it was like even the the music that was playing as they were shooting the gem hadar was like you were supposed to have tears in your eyes like it was painful right and i appreciated that that this is not like yeah kick some butt dis you know cisco like no it was not that attitude yeah. um it was they were never like they were shooting and hitting the gem hadar but they were not like vaporizing them and so i don't know if it's like maybe that takes even more energy and we can just shoot to kill without shooting to vaporize i don't know there's a lot of those sort of questions in there that i thought were kind of kind of fuzzy that at least for me i would have liked a little more clarity on now what if what if during the Dominion War, the Federation had a standing order that whenever you shoot, you, it's on stun, you, and except for like the most dire circumstances, right? You're always shooting to stun. Yeah. What would that mean for the for the war? I mean, obviously, it would mean a ton of prisoners of war, and I uh-huh. think they established at some point that like Jem Hadar do not. Like they will not be captured. Yeah. But that's that's not like at least for me, like that's not an excuse. Oh, they're gonna kill no. themselves anyway? Ah, might as well. Like, no, no, that's not the Federation. Again, it's, right. it's to say nothing of the, the Cardassians. Uh, or the Breen. I don't know what the heck happened to the Breen, but it is somewhat surprising that they don't have um any starship weapons that can do that. Because you know, going into battle in a spaceship and you blow up their spaceship, they're all gone. Like, and that's not a phaser set to stun because what would that look like? Which, which again, in like Next Generation, I feel like, and in the Enterprise, it felt like there was a target their engines if you can theme, um, which in war kind of, yeah, that the all bets are off sort of. And right. I don't know. And again, maybe this is like a non-military guy's naivete, but some of those dynamics, I don't know. I, I feel like that needed more explanation for me about the Federation at, at war. Yeah, that they have the the ability to have a less lethal war, and then they choose not to. Right. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I can't... I can't imagine that that would be the choice. I, I would have to imagine that the choice was we had no choice, but they never specified that. So then it just yeah. seems like, you know, either an abundance of caution. Well, we don't want to risk letting them live. Like, well, that doesn't seem very, I mean, again, the prime directive is we would rather sacrifice ourselves than, you know, risk the, the, uh, another culture or species. The Federation's ability to have a, non-lethal use of their weapons opens up a lot of questions for when they choose not to go that route right you know even it it forces it forces this moral choice on them yeah because here with us in this century with our technology here you know i'm not saying that this is necessarily true but it seems like sometimes that the only option in war is to have a lethal war right you know and terribly lethal mm-hmm. so if we had the ability to have a less lethal war 
it, it forces that moral choice. And what do we do with that? That's I think that's that's a very interesting question for the Federation to answer. And I mean, and I feel like that was that was the real challenge with that season of, uh, or two seasons really of uh, Deep Space Nine was some of those issues. I mean, even getting into like the morality of war, which they, I mean, they got into more less the morality of it because it wasn't their choice. You know, they are thrust upon this and whatever. And I feel like the Federation wrestling with that. I mean, those are real things, I guess, that you, you have to wrestle with in war. Um, but, yeah, when you when you throw out the possibility of non-lethal um, confrontation, that, uh, yeah, that seems like that changes some of that conversation. So one, one last thing that, that interests me about the phaser is uh, phasers... Rarely on accident, but quite often on purpose, the phaser overload is like the thing. <laughs> and I and I do kind of wonder, like, so a phaser on overload, what is happening? Why is it such a big explosion? And and I mean that's the other thing too that they don't really talk about uh in Star Trek a whole lot, is any explosion on a contained environment like a spaceship is crazy. I mean, like, you don't... I mean, that's the joke where they're, you know, in some sci-fi movie and they're shooting guns in a spaceship. Like, any bullet that doesn't, like, land in a person is gonna land in the wall and you're gonna all get sucked out. Like, that's just the way... (laughs) So, blowing up whatever this is and however powerful it is. um, But, like... Yeah, like what it's overloading because they always talk about the phaser banks and that the phaser banks might be empty. So what energy is that overloading that energy? Is it like a battery being overloaded? Remember like 10 years ago when all those Samsung phones were exploding? Okay. But that wasn't basically the same thing. See, and and not only that, but the Samsung ones were overheating. So is that what it is? You set it to overheat because it's a heat generating yeah. thing? Are you worried that they might <laughs> overload? I always assume that the inside the phaser was some sort of power source, right? Like a battery, basically. Okay. You know, even when – I think it's in Next Generation when they grab the hand phasers. They're like in a charging port even. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. So – I assume that the, they have a battery inside of them and that if if you need to, if you need to use it as a bomb instead of as a weapon, you know, a handheld weapon, you can set the battery to release all that energy at once. Mm. I think that's what it's doing, the phaser overload. Yeah. It's releasing all that energy at once. Right, or it's like cycling back or... Why does it have the capacity that if you push the right combination of buttons, it will overload? Like, why is that a setting? I, I don't, I don't. They, they I obviously don't use it. They've, it's like a hack, maybe. They've figured out the, the phaser hack, which is, is a side note, too. And I don't know if this is a con of the phasers, but I could never figure out how. I'm thinking specifically of, I think it's frame of mind where 
Riker gets the phaser right at the end when he's starting to figure out that there's something not right here. And he said, like, I'm going to set this to level 16, wide beam. That should take out the entire thing. But then it shows his thumb, and there's literally three buttons that are not labeled and no indicating light. And it's just like, <laughs> how? what buttons are you? And he's just randomly, one, 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 two, one, one, two, one, one, one. I'm like, what? <laughs> how do you, you just know, you've just memorized how to program these things? I don't know. It's possible. That's that's like day one of Starfleet Academy. Everybody gets their phaser <laughs> and loot. <laughs> with your eyes closed. You're with your eyes closed because there's no indicating lights. You just have to figure out how to push these buttons in the right order. I don't know. Well, that makes them, you know, the the one good thing about having three unlabeled buttons for obviously a thousand different settings on the uh-huh. phaser is that if, you know, the your Romulan enemy grabs it, they won't be able to figure it out. <laughs> there you like, go. There you go. They'll end up turning like the the uh the setting on that blinks a light to show people where you are or something like that. Right. Right. No, they're going to overload it. They invariably yeah. it's going to overload and they're going to blow themselves up. That's just That's how. obviously two, two, three, one, seven, one, two. Yep. Se- two. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's the code that, that, yeah, the Starfleet engineers have figured out the hack that every alien knows because it's the only way they can use it. But right. Um, <laughs> I've never understood – I mean, I understand, like, reality-wise, like, the, the tech budget that S- Star Trek had for actually filming this show. But the phaser has a wide beam setting. Why aren't you using that, like, all the time? I mean, you could literally just take out an entire room. But they only do it, like, <laughs> once every three seasons. And it's just, again, the Jem'Hadar are attacking. We'll just put one guy in the middle, set it on wide beam, and just go, burn! And then you're like, well, I guess we won that one. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, again, is there a... Maybe the wide beam takes a lot more of the battery power. Then just do it you once. you only get one shot. Yeah. Then fine. That's, just have Billy Mummy do it, and then he just goes, burn! And then he just sits on the side, and that's great. And then let the crazy guy <laughs> with the, the, the neck bones, let him do go out and punch people or whatever he liked to do. <laughs> I don't know. The wide beam I thought was an, was underrated for for a, a, a phaser usage. And not only that, but then sometimes they were like, all right, like what is it? The chain of command where they, they're doing the like spelunking or whatever. And they have to take mm-hmm. out like a rock passage. And so they both shoot their like narrow beam at the thing. I'm like, why didn't someone use the wide beam and just like, you know, it's like you're a miner, but I don't know. They don't teach mining at uh, Starfleet Academy, I guess. Apparently not. No. Yeah. Which is a real shame. Which is a real shame. Yeah. The for me, this whole topic is a little, maybe not tainted, but just the feeling that we are not close, nor is there any phasers on the horizon, is a little bit of a bummer, to be honest with you. Because uh, again, not that I you know, love my weaponry or anything, but I do really like the, the, uh, defensive and peaceful alternative, or at least non-lethal alternatives that the phaser brings about. Um, I have a hunch 
that uh, kind of like Adam and I were talking about with the holodeck and about just how um, far Sonic usage has come and Sonic emitters and stuff like that. That might be uh-huh. a little bit more the, the, the direction as far as the non-lethal side. It wouldn't be able to have the, like we said, the multi-usage of like the energy um, you know, manipulation that the phaser does. Um, but at the very least, some, some, um, yeah, some non-lethal alternatives for weaponry. Uh, I feel like, uh, sonic, um, em- em- emanations might be, might be the path. So, mm-hmm. so there we go, my friends, that is the final of the tech months. And, um, yeah, and we nailed it, bro. Yeah. Uh, again, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot more tech that we can tackle, so uh, we will at a later date. But even bigger than that is the fact that we only have two episodes left of this season, my friend. So next episode we are going to actually do actually the final two episodes we are going to do a two-parter talking about Star Trek and family. Now, not so much necessarily about the Star Trek family values, although we can talk about that a little bit, but more just where do we see in Star Trek? What do we see um, first romance? And then the second week we will talk about Star Trek family dealing with parents and kids. So we get to talk about some uh, Worf and Alexander uh, and Sisko and and Jake – uh, which is pretty much oh, and I guess Molly, Molly and Keiko and uh, and uh, O'Brien. That's that's kind of the other parental unit that we have out there, right? And Ooh, Crusher and Wesley. Crusher and Wesley. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, the one other that I, I might throw in, uh, and this is two weeks or two episodes away, so we don't need to throw it in just yet. But I might also throw in um, Odo and uh, his um, the scientist that discovered him, Doctor Mora. That's an mm. interesting sort of uh, parental dynamic that they have. Ooh, that Bashir. Is. Oh, what? we got tons, man. We it's going to be exciting. But even before that, romance. So we'll talk about romance in our next episode, my friends. So please come and join us. It is going to be great. As always, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, Trek underscore ology is our Twitter handle. We are always, uh, well, we're not always there, but I'm sure if I get a tweet, I would notice it. Uh, and someday Teresita <laughs> might want to take it over, though obviously she's uh, going to be busy with the end of school and, and everything else that's going on. So we shall see, my friends. All right. With that said, my friends, as always, we land by saying, Live long and prosper. Peace and long life.